Asia, you know, usually when it rains, you know, your attendance goes down. And where we came from in Springfield, South Carolina, it was a lot of uh, hunting and fishing was so big that I always joke, I think we had the only church where when it rained, attendance went up. Because, like, nobody can go hunting or fishing, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, but, but, uh, but anyway, uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, relationship a little bit more, and um, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 11 and uh, 65, and then we're going to journey back uh, into the book of Genesis. And if you notice, uh, throughout our series here, after the introduction and after talking about the temporal heaven, in week three, we started talking about relationships. So, uh, so week three, we talked about our relationship uh, with the new earth and how the new earth will look. Uh, then in week four, we talked about our resurrected bodies and our relationship with ourselves for all eternity. Uh, last week, of course, we talked about uh, this life being an apprenticeship for the next life and how everything we do matters, uh, talking about our relationship with our work and how that looks for all eternity. Tonight's going to be a little different. Um, next week, we're going to talk about our relationship with others on the new earth and how the continuity will look. Uh, how relationships will look. We'll talk about uh, marriage and intimacy and children and, and what will exist and won't, won't exist. And then we're going to end in two weeks talking about the most important thing, and that's our relationship with God and how that will look for all eternity. Uh, that's really the, the, the greatest thing that we'll experience. But tonight, uh, this may be the first time you've ever come to church and heard an entire lesson on a biblical theology of animals on the new earth. And when I say that out loud, you're thinking, why did I even come here tonight? But trust me, all right, trust me on this. There are so many references in the Bible that talk about animals and our relationship with animals for all eternity. And the Bible has so much to say. Do you know how many different species of animals are mentioned throughout the Bible? 120. Think about that. 120 different species of animals are mentioned in the Bible. And think about it. Who was the first head of the earth? Who was given the authority, the very first one to rule over the earth? It was Adam, right? And in the garden, what does God surround Adam with? Animals. Who was the second head of the earth? It was Noah coming off the ark. What is Noah surrounded by as he comes off the ark? Animals. Then the third and the ultimate head of the world was Jesus Christ, born in a manger, and what surrounded the manger? Animals. We're going to see tonight that animals exist in the temporal heaven right now, and we're going to see that animals exist for all eternity uh, no question about it. Uh, I want to um, just emphasize this, that a lot of what we talk about is not an exact science. And sometimes, and, and Ted mentioned this a few weeks ago, and, and he and I have talked about this, that, that sometimes it's hard to tell whether something is figurative or something is literal. 
And I want to emphasize that, that the point of this series, uh, I mentioned this in week one, is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse 9, when he said, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And then he says this in verse 10, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And in verse 13, we see that the Spirit has revealed these in the Bible. And therefore, the, the whole point of everything we're doing in this series is not to get exact answers, because sometimes they don't exist. The whole point of the series is to fuel our imaginations, like Paul says, and to create an anticipation for the next life, that the choices we make in this world matter in the world to come. So again, I, I want to emphasize that, that what we look at tonight, again, the goal is to not get an exact science every answer, but rather to give us glimpses of what the Bible says. And the Bible is giving all of these little pictures, these little glimpses of, of all these things on the new earth, and hopefully it can cause everybody to think like it did me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I was... Uh, Never a big animal guy. Uh, I don't know how to put this. Growing up, I never really had a pet. Uh, I take that back. Apparently, when I was a little guy, like five or six, we had this uh, bunny. And this bunny was a disaster. My, my parents said it would, like, spin around and just spray urine, like, over everybody. And finally, that was it. He's like, you're done. So never again did I have an animal growing up. Uh, how many of you had animals growing up? Okay, so then probably if you grew up with a dog or a cat or a pet that you loved, probably animals would have greater meaning in your life than those who didn't, right? So, so part of me is kind of torn because I've never had a deep relationship with an animal. Uh, I'll give you an example. Alicia and I started dating in high school. Uh, I was 18, she was 17, and... and um, I remember just like two months after we started dating, um, she invited me over to, to her house on a Sunday afternoon, and I walk in the house, and Alicia, her mom, and her sister are bawling their eyes out. I mean, uncontrollably, and I'm thinking, oh my, like her, her grandfather died, her grandmother died, and I'm thinking, oh my, and, and I'm trying to prepare myself for what to say, you know, well, you know, we'll see him again, and, and this and that. No, 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 it, it was the dog. It was the dog, her, her dog, Dakota, that was really protective. Uh, the dog didn't like me. And I'm like, why are you crying over a stupid dog? Because I didn't understand it. I, I never had a pet growing up that I cared about. But for Alicia and her family, that was a huge deal. Uh, Pastor Ted, have you ever had somebody ask you to do a uh, dog funeral? Okay, um, maybe this is a regional thing. I've, I've had that request several times. Um, and they, they don't say dog funeral. Um, it's more of like, hey, my dog died, and I had the dog cremated, and could you just come over and maybe say a few words about the dog? And I'm like, eh. And I'll tell you, until I saw my kids and their relationship with an animal, it never really meant anything to me. But the best relationship 
I ever saw was actually a little cat. Uh, not a big cat guy, okay? If cats ever learn weapons, they'll kill us all in like three days. I'm telling you, like, I mean, no, I'm kidding. But really, the, we had this uh, little cat uh, named her Puma. She just shows up one day, and she was like the sweetest little cat. I mean, she would just crawl up, and uh, our daughters just were crazy about this little cat. And, and I'm like, okay, well, one night the cat died. Um, a couple of uh, strays uh, got a hold of it, and um, that was it for Puma. So I didn't think anything of it. It's about 8 o'clock at night, and I go in the house, and I'm like, sorry, girls. The dog's got Puma. <laughs> and I'm telling you what happened. Alicia looks at me, and she's like, you're joking, right? Like, are you kidding me right now? It's, really? She's like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it happens. You know, animals die. And Holy smokes, what happened next? I'll never, I mean, you talk about a breakdown like I've never seen. And Alicia's like, that was really, really stupid. Do you know how stupid that was? Like, you have to break it to him. And I'm like, no, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. And, and she's like, no, you, you, you've never had a relationship with an animal, right? She's like, you never have. It means something so much more when you're a kid. And again, so when we talk about this, animals and our relationship with them, I understand we're all coming from different places, but the Bible has so much to teach on this. And typically, when it comes to animals in heaven and people that say no, what is the argument that most people give? Yes, right? Yes. What are the, what, what's the argument? Animals don't have souls, so therefore, they don't go to heaven, or there aren't animals in heaven. However, I would argue the other way, and I want to show you three realities for why we will see animals in heaven. Number one is that Scripture describes the presence of animals, and this is really all we need, but scripture describes the presence of animals both in the intermediate heaven and on the new earth. If you're in Isaiah, look at chapter number 11 and verse 6. It speaks of a coming glorious era on earth when the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, and yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together. And somebody referenced this a few weeks ago, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, a lot of people look at this and say that's a clear reference to the millennium, and perhaps it is, but I can tell you that many places in Isaiah, he anticipates an eternal kingdom of God on earth, and if you go ahead to Isaiah 65, 17, I want to mention that at the end of the book in Isaiah, it specifically speaks of a new heavens and a new earth. In fact, it says that in chapter number 66. 
uh, Isaiah 65, 17 and 66, 22 both speak of a new earth. Clearly, we're in the reference of the eternal earth. And look at chapter number 65 and verse 25. Definitely not the millennium. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. When will there be no harm on the earth? Well, not the old earth, or even the millennium, which will end in rebellion and warfare. But it's only on the new earth. Where will there be no more sin, death, or suffering? Revelation 21.4. These descriptions of animals peacefully inhabiting the earth uh, may have an application to the millennial kingdom on the old earth, but here their primary reference at the end of the book appears to be God's eternal kingdom, and it's where mankind and animals enjoy a redeemed earth. We'll get back to the intermediate heaven in just a second. Number two, there are many living things on the new earth that do not obtain salvation, such as angels and trees. Remember that. Angels, Peter points out in, in 2 Peter, that angels do not obtain salvation. In fact, he, do you remember those verses where he talks about how angels look intently at us and they see how we experience salvation, and they're intrigued by that. There are things that exist in the eternal earth that do not obtain salvation. But here's number three. And if you understand the biblical meaning of the word soul, then what we're going to see right here is that animals do indeed possess souls according to the Bible, the breath of life. Go back to Genesis chapter number one. So if anybody ever says animals don't have souls, I'm going to give you verses that 100% show that they do. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Genesis chapter number two and verse seven, where it says, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed, that's the Hebrew word nephesh, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul, nephesh. Breathed and soul in that verse are the same Hebrew word. We talked about this. Adam had two parts. He had his body, the outer body, formed from the dust of the ground, and then he had his soul, his life. And of course, we saw that, that when we die, it's, it's an abnormal condition where the body and soul were meant originally to live together for all eternity, but because of sin and because of the curse, now they're separated from each other. So again, what did Adam have? He had his body and he had his soul, the breath of life. Soul literally means life. Now, when God made the animals, go back to chapter 1, verse 25. He made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Animals were important in Eden, therefore 
we know that they'll be important on the new earth. However, like humans, animals were formed from the ground. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. What does it say? Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. But then, what did we just see? Same thing with Adam, but then in chapter 2, verse 7, when did Adam become living? It was when God breathed into him. And remarkably, the same Hebrew word, nephesh, for soul, with Adam, is the same Hebrew word used for animals. We're told that animals have the breath of life in them. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 30. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, notice, everything that has the breath of life. Soul. That's the same word used for Adam, the breath of life, nephesh. Look at chapter number 6 and verse number 17. Notice this. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, notice, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Again, humans and animals. Look at chapter number 7 and verse 15. Notice it says, They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, here it is, in which there was the breath of of life. Breath of life, nephesh, soul. Look at chapter 7, verse 22. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. God handmade animals, linking them both to the earth and to humanity. So when you understand the biblical meaning of the word soul, then yes, Animals have souls according to this because they have the body and they possess the breath of life. Now, I, I talked about this before and, uh, you know, somebody said, then why do we say, why, why do we use the phrase uh, soul winning? If, if soul is not necessarily salvation, it just means the breath of life. And I'm like, well, let's not go too far with this, all right? Because soul in the Bible does not necessarily mean salvation. Like we just saw, it just means that you have the breath of life inside of you. And that's why we always say whenever a person passes away, their body stays here on earth and their souls go to the intermediate heaven, their life, the life inside of them, goes to the intermediate heaven to be with God. And what happens to the bodies? The bodies stay here like we saw in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 where it teaches the very same body, not a different one, the very same body that is lowered into the ground is reunited on resurrection day in the future to rejoin your soul. Again, animals. They have their body and they have their souls. Because God has a future plan for both mankind and earth, it strongly suggests that he has a future plan for animals as well. Uh, if you're still in Genesis chapter number six, 
one of the biggest proofs that we have of animals on the new earth is actually the flood and Noah's Ark. This is interesting here. Whenever God saved people from the destruction of the flood, he also took great care to save the animals. Of course, these are our companions and, and helpers. So notice in Genesis 6, verse 19, what did God command Noah? You are to bring two into the ark, two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. And after the flood, God made a covenant with Noah. And this new covenant included animals. Go forward to Genesis chapter number 9. And notice God's covenant with Noah that includes animals. It says, I will, chapter 9, verse 9, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. Then you go forward a little bit. He says, never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God says, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. Not just humans, but the animals. A covenant for all generations to come. I will remember, here it is again, a couple verses later, the covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. And notice verse 17, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember again the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on this earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all the life on the earth. So we know that God's plan after the flood included animals. And as we saw a few weeks ago, 2 Peter chapter 3 talks about uh, the future judgment. And, and it speaks, uh, it gives a direct parallel between God's past judgment of the earth with water and his future judgment with fire. Mankind was judged in the flood and on his coattails, most animals also perished. Humans were being rescued from the flood to inhabit this earth, but God didn't limit his rescue to just people. He rescued representatives of every animal species to also occupy this new earth. And see, this is a powerful picture of what Romans 8 states that mankind and animals and all creation are linked together, not only in the curse and in judgment, but also in blessing and deliverance. And if animals were preserved through the flood, then during the next judgment, the only logical con uh, expectation uh, would be for them to also uh, persevere. So maybe you're asking yourself, what, what does this mean? And, and what does the Bible say about our relationship 
uh, with animals in Scripture? Since, since we'll be with them for all eternity, what does the Bible actually say? Um, I want to give you a few notes here. Number one, uh, we should celebrate our relationship with animals. Note in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, what did God tell Adam? He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God then brings the animals and birds to Adam. Only after that did he create a more suitable helper for Adam in Eve. Right? And... Um, God directed Adam in Genesis 2, 19 and 20 to, to name the animals. You know, the, the, the process of naming the animals implies a personal relationship with the name bearer. Notice, Adam never named, or he was never instructed to name the plants. Only who? His wife and the animals. Indicating their special relationship Here's a great verse, Psalm 8 and verse 6. It says, You made mankind ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds. Here it is. And the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that all swim the paths of the sea. We, we should celebrate our relationship with the animals. Um, it was funny, we, uh, we had a soccer game on Saturday, and, and Alicia and I uh, coach Jackson's uh, soccer team. It's, it's like a bunch of eight-year-olds, and um, we do a Florida lead, and, and uh, I'll tell you, eight, eight-year-olds can be really funny. When you get like nine eight-year-old boys together, they are like really competitive. I mean, I, I, you know, he's our only son, and, and I am shocked how competitive these kids are. Well, we have this game Sunday afternoon, and I mean, we are beating the brakes off these poor kids. And it's, it's kind of one of those where, like, if you want to run up the score to 30 to nothing, you, you probably could. And I think it's like 8 to nothing at halftime. And I'm, I'm like, okay. So at that point, I think Jackson had like three goals. I mean, the kid's on fire. And, and we had, what do you do? You take some of your best shooters and you pull them back, right? You have them play defense. And, and anyway, and, and, you know, you, you put some of the defenders maybe up front, and then eventually you just kind of bring everybody back to the one side of the field. I mean, you don't want to hurt kids' feelings. And, and sure enough, there is this one kid that no matter what he did, he would just ride around the side and go up the field. And, I mean, he was just blasting goals. And finally, we call him over. We're like, hey. I'm like, I told you to stay back here. And Alicia jumps in. She goes, you know, the goal is not to rub their faces into the dirt. And he goes, yeah, it is. <laughs> and uh, I mean, right. And, and uh, it's like, all right, kid. You know, when it comes to our relationship with the animals, you know, we, we can treat them however we want. Let's be honest. We can be cruel. We can be good. We can be angry. We can celebrate. And what is the Bible teaching when, when Adam had that relationship with animals? It was a good thing. It was to be celebrated. But also, what does the Bible say? In Genesis, it says we're to exercise dominion over animals. Notice, God placed the animals under man's benevolent care. He says in Genesis 1.28, Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
God created us to be stewards of animals. Number three, we'd show proper care to animals. Proverbs 12, 10, the godly are concerned for the welfare of their animals. That's a powerful verse. You should write that down. The godly are concerned for the welfare of their animals. Number four, display love for animals as belonging to God and not us. This is a strong verse right here. What does God say? For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountains and all the animals of the field belong to me. And you say, what does this have to do with the new earth? The same relationship we have with animals on this earth is going to continue for all eternity. And again, when we talk about ruling, what did we see in, in the Garden of Eden? That, that Adam exercised dominion over animals. And we keep seeing how the new earth in, in Revelation 21 and 22 is a return to Genesis 1 and 2. It's a return to Eden because remember last week, what are the only chapters in all the Bible where sin does not exist? The first two and the last two. That's it. And therefore, the two are so similar. I don't think we have to speculate how God might populate a perfect earth. He populated Eden with animals under the rule of people. And God doesn't make mistakes. There's every reason to believe here he'll restore the self-proclaimed very good arrangement on the new earth. And we should expect the new earth to be a place where we'll fulfill our calling to be faithful rule, rulers and stewards of animals. And why is this all important? Why is this so important? The biggest thing, because animals bring praise and glory to God. The Bible actually teaches that they praise God and they will do so for all eternity. Consider the Psalms, Psalm 148, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted, his splendor is above the earth and the heavens." Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Since animals have the breath of life, they are included among those who direct praise to God. Maybe they can't articulate that, but still they bring glory to God. I think passages in Revelation are fascinating. I'll give you this one that I never thought of before studying this series. And what this indicates is that animals will praise their creator in the intermediate heavens. So in, in Revelation 5, we saw a few weeks ago, we're talking about the temporal heaven. The, the, the eternal earth doesn't come down until Revelation 21. And notice what it says right now in the temporal heaven. In Revelation 5, verse 13, it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and see and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise 
and honor and glory and power forever and ever. What are these creatures said to do? They sing praises to God in worship. And if every creature in heaven and on earth includes animals, then yes, animals praise God. To me, the most striking example, and if you would, go forward to Revelation. I want you to see this because maybe you've never noticed this before. And, and I'm telling you, I, I've been to seminary and I had never heard this before until studying this right here. And this is often overlooked because of the way it's translated in our Bibles. If you look at Revelation 4, we see living creatures in the intermediate heaven. And what does it say in Revelation 4? This is fascinating in verse number 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Notice verse 9. The living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. You ever looked at that uh, phrase, living creatures? The King James Bible translates that uh, beast. Living creatures there in chapter 4, verse 9. Do you know, this is interesting, the Greek word used there for creatures is a word zoon. And when you look at the New Testament, eight different times that same word is translated animals. It's, it's the Greek word for animals. I'll give me an example. I won't give you all of them, but Hebrews 13, 11, for the bodies of those animals, same word, zoon. Jude 10, but these people blaspheme that they do not understand like unreasoning animals. The word animals in Jude 10 is the same word for creatures here in Revelation chapter number 4. It's the Greek word zoon. It refers to animals. Interesting, right? So the living creatures, the animals, the natural way we would say that is simply that the animals, the living creatures, give praise and they sing praise to God. And even it mentions in Revelation 4, 7, look like a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. Uh, someone wrote this. This is really good. Someone said, somehow we have failed to grasp that the living creatures who cry out, holy, 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 are animals. Living, breathing, intelligent, and articulate animals who dwell in God's presence, worshiping and praising him. When we grasp this concept, and I think this is so cool, when we understand this, then we can see the error in one writer's statement who said clearly animals do not fit into the main purpose of heaven, which is the articulation of God's praise. On the contrary, we see here the primary being shown articulating God's praise in heaven along with angels and humans are what? Animals. I'm guessing you've never pictured the throne of God with a bunch of animals around it, have you? Have you ever done that? I, I never have. 
And then you get here and it's like, whoa. And I think it's interesting how God always has had specific jobs for animals. For example, do you remember uh, Elijah? Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot pulled by horses. Revelation speaks of the fact that there are horses in the intermediate heaven in Revelation chapter 6, verses 2 through 8. In fact, in Revelation 19, there are enough horses for a vast army of heaven to ride. And what does Jesus ride in on in Revelation 20? A white horse. Animals have specific jobs. The cherubim were placed as Eden's guardians in Genesis 3.24, and they are distinguished from angels in Revelation 15.7. So should it surprise us that when the curse is lifted, we will see more God's attributes and animals than we ever even thought about? And should it surprise us in heaven that, that there seems to be a lot of evidence that animals articulate their praise to God? Think about it for a second. Think about the Garden of Eden. I'm always fascinated by the serpent. Do you remember uh, Genesis 3.1? What does it say? It says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. It doesn't say crafty, but more crafty. More crafty suggests that some of the other animals were also crafty. Animals were smart, probably smarter than we could ever imagine. And what does Satan do? Satan uh, basically uh, indwells the serpent, of course, and the serpent talks to Eve. Have you ever noticed Eve doesn't really flinch? As she's talking, like, I, I can't fathom Alicia and I being in the backyard. And, and, of course, we know Adam was there and his wife was there. And they're having this full-blown conversation with the snake. Imagine you're with your child, your parent, your spouse in the backyard, and you're just having a conversation, or a snake just starts talking to you. You'd be like, uh, what? Like, really? But what does Eve do? She just talks to the snake. And think about this. Think about this. Name me one time after the curse where Satan ever spoke through an animal again. Think about this. Can you think of one? No. You say, why? Why, why would Satan indwell an animal? I mean, after all, in the Bible, we see people being demon-filled all the time. You see it with mediums in the Old Testament. You see demon-possessed people throughout the Gospels. Satan, uh, he, he, he speaks through people all of the time, but never an animal again. Could it be that animals no longer able to articulate like they once could before the curse? And perhaps when the curse came and God cursed all of creation, he removed the ability for animals to speak, and therefore there's no purpose in Satan ever dwelling an animal again. And could it be that once the curse is lifted in heaven, we once again see them articulating their praise 
toward God. Something interesting to think about. I also am um, fascinated by uh, Balaam's donkey. You know, when God spoke through Balaam's donkey, uh, many people think he was just putting words into her mouth. Or, there's another option. Did God temporarily give the donkey, uh, lift the curse from the donkey so she was able to verbalize? Do you remember what she said to Balaam after he, he struck her? Do you remember that? She's like, well, why did you hit me? Have you ever stepped on a dog's paw? And they just kind of look at you. You know what they're thinking, like, why did you step on me, right? They, they just can't communicate that. Perhaps Balaam's donkey here, God just removed the curse for a little bit, but then the eagle in Revelation chapter 8, verse 13 is fascinating. John notes in Revelation 8, 13, in heaven, he says, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out with a loud voice, woe to those who dwell on the earth. The eagle calls out specifically with a loud voice. Is it figurative? It could be. But when the serpent spoke to Eve, we don't think that's figurative. And when Balaam's donkey spoke, we don't think that's figurative. So why shouldn't we also take this literal? And it's just an awesome reminder that, that animals, the living creatures, verbalize their praise to God in Revelation chapter number 5. And these are God-given abilities. If people will be smarter and more capable on the new earth, should it surprise us that animals can also be smarter and more capable once the curse is lifted. So that brings the question up, and, and um, we'll close with this. Uh, you ever hear a kid ask, will we see our pets again? You ever, you ever hear a kid ask that? I mean, it's, it's a genuine question. I mean, the kid's hurting, and, and what do you say at that moment? It's, it's kind of hard. And again, I, I want to stress this isn't an exact science. There, there's no emphatic yes on this. However, I want to give you a few principles of, of maybe how to make sense of this. Number one, I just want to give you the principle of restoration out of Revelation 21.5, where Christ proclaims, behold, I am making all things new. It's not just people who will be renewed, but also the earth and all things. Do all things include animals? Well, yes. And notice uh, this right here. This is good. In the principle of redemption, Christ's emphasis isn't on making new things, but on making old things new. It's not just about inventing the unfamiliar, but about restoring and enhancing the familiar. Jesus seems to be saying, I'll take all I made the first time, including people and nature and animals and the earth itself, and bring it back as new, fresh, and indestructible. But also I want to mention the extent of the redemption in Romans chapter number 8. You say, did Jesus die for animals? Well, certainly not in the way he died for humans. Certainly not. Obviously, animals cannot uh, respond to God and, and get saved. We know that. Let's not go crazy here. However, in another sense, Romans chapter 8 says this in verse number 21. 
Notice. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. This is a clear statement that our resurrection, the redemption of our bodies, will bring not only deliverance to us, but what does it say? To all of creation. To all of creation, which has been groaning, Paul says, in its suffering. It seems to indicate that on the new earth, after mankind's resurrection, animals who once suffered on the old earth may join God in glorious freedom from decay. But I always found the testimony of Psalm 104 very, very interesting. And you don't have to turn there. I think I have it up here. Um, it's interesting in Psalm 104. And I, I just want to give you something to think about here. God speaks of birds, cattle, wild donkeys, rock badgers, and lions. Notice what he says. He says in verse 24, In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is filled with your creatures. Then again, if you look at verse 29, When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So then we're told something amazing in verse number 30. It says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. Who's they there? Well, he just referenced all of these animals in the previous verses. What does it mean that he sends his spirit and creates them? And it looks like he's talking about recreated animals. Why? To renew the face of the earth. It looks like the same they who died are they who are created or recreated as part of the earth's renewal plan. You know, C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about animals. He taught a lot about this. And I, I just want to read you this on what he said about the future of animals. He said, it seems to me possible that certain animals may have an immortality, not in themselves, but in the immortality of their masters. Very few animals indeed in their wild state attain to a self or ego. But if any do, and if it is agreeable to the goodness of God that they should live again, their immortality would also be related to man, not this time to individual masters, but to humanity. I think that is so good. And in her excellent book about heaven, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever read any uh, Joni Erickson Tata, but she has a phenomenal book about heaven. And I just want to read you a few words out of her book. She says, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, exorbitant, excessive, extravagant, in grace after grace, of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us, the potential of seeing them would be pure whimsy. 
frequency, utterly, joyfully, surprisingly superfluous. Heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in it many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. I want to say this. I, I don't know all the answers to these questions, all right? All I'm saying is there's a lot in the Bible that seems to indicate that we will enjoy this relationship with animals for all eternity. And if we regard pets as God's created companions entrusted to our care, it's only right that we should experience grief at their loss. And who made these qualities so neat in animals? It's, it's God our Father. Who made us to be touched and to be moved by them? It's God. And I'll finish with this. Someone said, we love animals because God created us and them to love each other. The other note, maybe let's not correct our children and grandchildren when they pray that they'll be able to see their pets again. Maybe the answer is up to God. Hey, we're going to have a great relationship with animals for all eternity as we rule over the new earth. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight and, and just for everything the Bible has to say about this subject. Uh, we thank you that you are the Lord over all creation and that you created these special animals who hold such special places in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for, for everything you've given us. You are the joy giver of everything we have. We love you, God. We can't wait to see you face to face and enjoy this life forever in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, any questions on that? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.